I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Fort, uh, who's once again in D.C. today. Uh, how you might want to play Microsoft and Alphabet ahead of earnings. We're going to take a look at recent cost cuts across tech, plus how the ad slowdown is now impacting the sector. Then where does Meta's quest end? More on the company's metaverse spending and the next catalyst for that name. We're going to talk to one investor who is adding to his position. And then finally, PayPal wants you to use Venmo when checking out on Amazon. That story is coming up later this hour, D. We're going to start, though, with Microsoft and Alphabet, the first of the three hyperscalers reporting tonight. We will get Amazon on Thursday, of course. Now, when the numbers cross, one focus will be on how demand for the cloud is holding up and what that says about the broader state of enterprise software spend, an area that has been one of the strongest and most resilient parts of tech this year. We've been talking a ton about it. Late yesterday, though, Amazon confirming reports that it's freezing hiring in parts of its AWS, that's its cloud division. An AWS spokesperson, however, tells me there are still thousands of job openings and other parts of cloud investors have already baked in a deceleration in cloud growth this year. So, guys, will this week's numbers be worse than feared? This would have implications, major implications for the companies and for the broader markets. In terms of what's expected, guys, Nearly 43% growth for Microsoft Azure, 34% growth for Google Cloud, 32% from Amazon Web Services. This is the number one player AWS, that is, though it's coming from a much larger base. Um, John, these are strong numbers expected to stay in these double digits in the 30s and 40s. Is it going to live up to that? Yeah, it's not the calendar Q3 numbers, the ones that they're actually reporting, that I'm most curious about, D. It's what the expectation is for Q4 and beyond, right? We've been talking a lot with companies, including Snowflake, C3AI, about consumption-based pricing. And if overall the global economy is slowing down, that means overall less consumption. If mm -hmm. the retail period is flattening out, you don't have the same kind of a spike you know, right around late November and into December, because people are starting to buy in early October, then will there be as much cloud utilization and failover as there's been in the past? And if there's not, what does that mean for Q4 and for after? So I think we, we got to think about um, the, the cloud numbers differently, particularly in the guide. And it, it's going to be different for these larger players, Carl, versus the smaller best of breed ones in a slowing economy. I think there's going to be probably some rip and replace that happens, some more competition with the bigger platforms versus best of breed. And the question is, who gets crowded out? Yeah. Well, we were paying attention to Oracle's price action mm -hmm. really the last week and a half, up 10 bucks. And then, of course, the upgrade of ServiceNow earlier in the week, I think, over uh, at, uh, at Guggenheim. Uh, so we'll watch all of that. Meantime, for more on what to expect when Alphabet and Microsoft report this afternoon, let's bring CNBC contributor Nilay Patel of The Verge. <laughs> well, are we, are we going to do this in the metaverse? I'm in the metaverse, baby. This is the future of work. How y'all doing? <laughs> I gotta get this Explain. Thing <laughs> um, maybe that's a good comment of, of what we're, we're going to be looking at. Actually, Neelay, what I wanted to start with was search, because B of A uh, previews Google tonight and says we are near but not yet at the trough in year-on-year -year search growth. Uh, add that to the dollar, and it's going to get interesting. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think Google's business is only a little bit insulated from the broader advertising market. And if you look at the big advertising holding companies, they've been doing fine. So I think there's a little bit of 
is the bottom actually falling out? Is consumer spending actually dropping? And then our brands, which is Google's clients, they still have to be in the mix, right? They can't just disappear the way they have in recessions past. So I think there's a lot of question about where that spend is going, whether it's going to be direct response, which Google excels at, or whether it's going to be towards more brand building things like Lydia and uh, honestly, like Instagram ads and things like that. And we just don't know the answer. And the advertising executives that I have talked to uh, are basically in wait and see mode. And I think that has big implications for Google. Would you rather be right now in Alphabet's position facing what's happening with advertising? You, YouTube has not been hitting the cover off the ball, some argue, or uh, Microsoft and obviously exposure to what's happening in PCs and consumer electronics? You know, I, I think I'd rather be in Microsoft's position. I'm saying that it's like a 51-49. Uh, Google has one of the most resilient consumer products of all time, two of the most resilient consumer products of all time in search and in YouTube. So they're always just gonna have supply of eyeballs for advertisers to go and get. That's really hard to let go of. And I think it will power them through a lot of uncertainty in the market. Whether they can hold on to their big investments or big R&D investments in things that don't pay off, which Google has an awful lot of, mm -hmm. I think is sort of next to whether search and YouTube remains stable. On the other hand, Microsoft is a far more diversified business, right? Azure is a big business that has nothing to do with consumer sentiment. Xbox is gaming. Gaming is historically recession-proof. So the PC market might go up and down, the Windows market might go up and down, but Microsoft is so diversified into things that are historically resilient that I'd, I'd rather be in Microsoft's position. Yeah, it's tough though, Neil, because we saw from Logitech's results that gaming is suffering a bit. Some of the consumer stuff is suffering a bit. Um, you know, and so from, from Microsoft, both the PC business, the Windows business, you wonder how that's going to do. And then on Google side, Alphabet side, YouTube has already been off. But I wonder, does search also take a bit of a hit if consumer demand is slowing down? Since it's such a signal of intent, are people intending to buy fewer products? Do services really make up for as much of that? Yeah, I think on the YouTube front, the question is whether YouTube can move from direct response to more of that brand building, top of the funnel advertising that historically, you know, linear and TV have mostly captured. That has always been YouTube's destiny. Every YouTube executive has always thought that what they're really competing with is TV. And it just hasn't been the case, right? It, it, they've been more of a, a desktop and mobile experience. That's YouTube's future. And they, and they get those dollars away from linear. I don't know the answer to that question. I've been working on that for a really long time. On the other hand, I know you pay a lot of attention to the chip market. There's about to be a, a huge just bust in the chip market. It goes through these cycles. Yeah. And I, you know, everything we hear from Intel, AMD, and the rest, they're expecting PC demand to soften so much. And they're going to have excess inventory, which mm -hmm. might just result in a price correction that results in sales. Like I have no idea how that's going to play out. We've got the China factor as well. Uh, Neilai, let me ask you about Alphabet, though. Every quarter feels like we talk about these moonshots, these other bets that are losing a lot of money that advertising pays for. And people thought that when Ruth Porat came in as CFO, maybe they would be scaled back or cut. That hasn't happened. But does the situation change if we're heading into a recession next year? Do you think that finally some of these projects go on the chopping block? You know, Ruth did a lot of cutting when she got in there, and she consolidated a lot of businesses. I think that the moonshots that Google held on to are ones that most tech people thought would actually pay off. That's things like Waymo. That's yeah. things like um, the contact lenses. That's things like their healthcare investments. Those are the markets that are big enough for these giants to actually move the needle in. 
And you see that problem across most of these companies. Where's Apple looking? It's looking at healthcare and it's looking at transportation. Where's Google looking? It's looking at healthcare and it's looking at transportation. So they have to stay invested in some of this stuff because they need markets that can actually generate growth at their scale. Now, do they have to keep making Pixel tablets that nobody buys? I have, I don't think so. And I think those are the kinds of things on the chopping block, especially at Google, which has a reputation for sort of ruthlessly killing anything that doesn't move the needle. I think a lot of that stuff is going to go at an even faster rate than before. Uh, Neela, you just mentioned Apple, of course, uh, raising prices on TV and music streaming services amid rising inflation. Interesting note out of uh, Morgan Stanley today. Uh, we forecast double-digit music industry streaming growth for years to come, even in a slowing economy. And their general point is that what we pay for music is probably going to catch up to what we pay for other platforms, be it in, uh, in digital streaming or certainly Prime. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think music is historically and permanently undervalued in the digital era, right? It's the most, it's one of the most important cultural objects to exist. We pay the least for it. In many cases, we pay nothing for it. So I think that market, the, the labels and the artists are going to demand that those prices rise so they can get a bigger cut. I think they're going to demand a lot of new pricing models so that artists actually receive more of that revenue. That's all next to oh, there's a lot of margin here, right? All the prices for everything else are going up. We can just raise prices and consumers are expecting it. And music has sort of infinite demand. You can't not have it. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for games in the music market, but it's certainly one of those places where it's so undervalued compared to how much we need it as human beings that there's a lot of room <laughs> for experimentation. Right. Uh, does that mean that Spotify has some runway as well, and, and some of these other, uh, I guess, labels, you know, they, they do point out that one of the main beneficiaries won't necessarily be the creatives, it'll be like the Warners of the world. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, Spotify is a really unique company in that it's the only real music streaming company that isn't attached to or subsidized by a big tech company. Uh, so Apple Music is Apple, Amazon is Amazon, Tidal, of course, affiliated now with, with Block. Spotify is, you know, the, the labels are the investors in Spotify. They are keeping it around as a hedge against big tech. And I think they're very invested in making it go and making it be a real competitor. At the same time, they're the ones who get paid out when the race, if that, they're the ones who get paid out when Spotify actually mm -hmm. generates some profit. So it's a company that is on the razor's edge, but the industry is completely committed to keeping it alive so they don't repeat the iPod era when their entire fortunes were at the whims of Apple. Right. In terms of Apple TV, Neelai, um, how sticky is that it feels like one of these streaming services that's nice to have but not need to have? Um, how do you think that price hike is going to go over? I, I don't think that's going to go over really well because a lot of people are going to come up on the end of their two-year free Apple TV when they buy a phone or another device and ask themselves if they need to spend $11 on it. And Ted Lasso is great, and some of their shows are great but you can probably just wait until you buy a new phone and binge all that <laughs> stuff later. And I think that's part of the model that Apple needs to, to yeah. figure out is you bring in people with the hits and you keep them there with the catalog and Apple doesn't really have the catalog yet. But doesn't, Neela, Apple have enough cachet now? I mean, they, they won the Best Picture Oscar. They've got Ted Lasso, which has been in, winning all kinds of stuff repeatedly. Since everybody else raised prices and they're still on the low end, can't they afford to do it a bit? I mean, maybe, sure, they'll lose some folks, but will they, do you think they'll churn more relative to other services? I do, because I think they have the, the 
the biggest incentive of all to offer consumers, which is to give you the stuff for free when you buy a phone. They can bundle the price of the phone into a larger bundle that has more services. I think there's many more pricing moves for Apple to make than simply raising the individual month-to-month subscription price of these services. I think their long game is a large bundle that includes their hardware. And once they get you on that cycle, you're never turning off. Yeah, we're gonna, we've been talking about that for a while. We'll see how, how well they can monetize the entire ecosystem. Neelay, always great to see you. Thanks for the help today. Covered a lot of ground. Neelay Patel. Rock and roll. Yep, after the break, Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger weighs in on the chip sanctions against China. Plus, Logitech spiking after posting results. We'll have more on the quarter. Tech Check is back after this. A gut check on Logitech, the company recording, uh, reporting a miss on sales and earnings for the most recent quarter as they face inflation headwinds. Stock shooting up this morning. Part of the reason why it comes down to which segments are growing and the fact that they reaffirm their full year outlook. So this was fiscal Q2. That means they're pretty confident in the holiday season. Meanwhile, pandemic-led devices like webcams and tablets have fallen off, both down more than 30% year over year, but return to work uh, businesses like video collaboration still seeing an uptick over last year. Though, you know, based on expectations, those might have uh, outperformed or underperformed. Deirdre, uh, I think it comes down to, though, that reaffirmation of what they expect over the next two quarters at a time of so much uncertainty. Brack and Daryl and team seem to know, (laughs) at least for now, what they expect. There's also the gaming side of it. You mentioned the pandemic boom parts of the business. Gaming's part of that. Neelay just told us, you know, conventional wisdom says that gaming is recession-proof, Carl, but obviously that's been turned on its head a little bit. Perhaps we didn't see such a boom like we did during the pandemic before. But what John said, I mean, the management is handling this. That shows in the stock being up, look at that, nearly 14% over the last week. Of course, it is another, you know, pandemic darling, so down a ton over the last year. Yeah, uh, just one more example. Uh, You know, Intel, I'm trying to think back in to the depths of the crisis, uh, John, but I think Intel did have comments about whether or not we were in a new world of penetration per household of PCs and accessories, and a lot of that obviously clearly being unwound. Yeah, well, you know, the, the demand isn't what it used to be, but it's, it's still there. Well, speaking of Pat Gelsinger, the Intel CEO um, had some comments on U.S.-China chip restrictions in the latest, calling those export limits, quote, inevitable yesterday at the Wall Street Journal's annual Tech Live conference. So with Xi Jinping's unprecedented third term sending China tech on a roller coaster ride, you saw what happened yesterday. Now the K-Web up more than 3 percent today. Let's bring in Grow Investment Group chief economist Hao Hong for a closer look. Hao, thanks so much for making the time to be with us today. Let me start with a really broad question here. I think one that maybe a lot of American investors might be wondering, and that is simply, are Chinese stocks investable, given all of the turbulence we've seen um, over scrutiny, over regulation, over U.S. export restrictions and what the government there in Beijing is doing? Yeah, well, I think the uh, tech space has been falling for more than two years now. 
you know, ever since they start to regulate the uh, Chinese platform companies, I think uh, leading platform companies such as Alibaba and Tencent is down, I think, 80% now. Uh, and valuation has shrunk dramatically. Uh, as to, you know, whether the space is still investable, I would say so. Uh, you know, I, I believe that, you know, there is still uh, tremendous opportunities to be had uh, in the Chinese space. Uh, and, and the market is very vast with debt. Uh, so, you know, during the uh, COVID, obviously, uh, China is still uh, uh, implementing the COVID zero policy. Uh, demand for Internet uh, uh, services and goods is still very, very strong. And indeed, you know, it, it has become an essential part of people's life. Right. So mm -hmm. I would say that even though the tech space has been uh, so down dramatically, uh, but I think going forward, uh, because the demand is still there, cash flow is still there. And therefore, you know, these names still have value. Right. How for someone like you that's on the ground and I've been reading your notes for years, um, you know, the market so well. Is it possible for American, the average American investor or even the average American bank or trader to understand China well enough? Where are those opportunities? Is it still tech, given you mentioned Alibaba and Tencent? What's happened to them? Do they come back from this or do you have to look elsewhere? Well, I think, you know, we've the sound of it. it it is looking increasingly likely that uh the chinese adrs are coming back to hong kong uh, a few days ago uh edu one of the uh, larger and leading chinese adr companies issued a statement saying that you know they can't satisfy sec's auditing needs and therefore you know it's more likely than not they're going to come back to hong kong uh so because edu is one of the cleaner uh, uh better companies so i wouldn't be surprised to see you know, other Chinese ADRs, you know, would issue similar statements as well. Uh, so, you know, for the U.S. investors to really understand the Chinese space, you know, there's a lot of uh, due diligence work that needs to be done going forward, uh, especially, you know, how the uh, financial numbers are, are, re are being reported and also how the Chinese regulation is going to be, to be changed right, in the tech space. But I think overall, uh, you know, because just now I mentioned that, you know, the demand is still very strong and cash flow is still very strong. You know, these names still have value. Mm. I do want to mention that we are near session highs on the NASDAQ, up about 195 points. That's one and three quarters percent. S&P up better than a percent. The Dow up a couple hundred points. How I'm wondering now that this um, in China, this Congress is done and behind Xi. Should we expect some announcement of new rules in the road that are going to affect technology companies? Uh, a clarification on what happens going forward uh, so that both uh, foreign companies doing business in China and Chinese tech companies know what to expect? Yeah, I'll, I think the uh, tech space is still going undergoing a, a lot of changes. Uh, if you really want to you know, put money to work in, in this space, you have to differentiate between uh, the soft tech, you know, which is the application part of the tech space, and also the hard, hard technology, you know, which is the semiconductor uh, and, and also high tech, high tech manufacturing. Uh, so I think, you know, the, the state is still putting a lot of money uh, to work, especially now, you know, the semiconductor technology is being banned uh, by, uh, by the U.S. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it creates a tremendous push from the government, you know, uh, into this space to develop China's own semiconductor technology. Uh, as to, you know, internet uh, software applications, um, at this moment, we are still not seeing too much change just yet. 
for example, you know, Tencent still, you know, half half of Tencent's earnings is coming from the internet gaming, right? So 50%. Uh, but in the past two years, Tencent hasn't launched one single new game because they couldn't get a license approval uh, from the government. You know, that is telling you how difficult the space has been. Uh, so you really have to differentiate, you know, the, the hard technology and also the internet application uh, uh, regulations are very different. Oh, that's pretty interesting. You know, the Atlantic's got a piece this morning about uh, China and the restrictions, and they say that, that Xi's problem is that he picked a fight, in their words, with a wealthier and technologically more advanced power before he had the economic strength to wage it. Uh, I wonder if you think that they do have some kind of escape velocity already, even with these restrictions. Mm, I think at this moment it's very difficult. I mean, basically we're throwing money at at the problem and then hoping it'll work. Uh, the semiconductor technology in China is probably two to three generations behind mm -hmm. that of the US. And so now you're forbidding technology transfer uh, right, so, uh, to China. So it really forcing the Chinese government to develop its own technology. Uh, I think each generation, so we're talking about at least 20 years of difference you know, between wow. China and the US. Uh, it takes a long time to catch up. Which underlines just how critical uh, this technology is for China. Hao, thanks so much for staying up late to be with us. Thank you. Hao Hong. Coming up after the break, Meta releasing that Quest Pro headset we talked about, and we'll continue to debate whether they're spending in all the right places. To John's point earlier, session highs here, 38.43, really only about 20 points from the 50-day on the S&P. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston. The NASDAQ trying to make it three positive sessions in a row. Take a look at some of the top gainers on the NDX. You see some uh, in there, PayPal and Ross stores on some news uh, and an upgrade. We'll have more on what's driving today's market action in a moment. First, though, a news update with our Contessa Brewer. Hey, Contessa. Hi there, Carl. Here's what's happening right now. UPS delivered strong quarterly profits thanks to higher prices. Profit margins expanded, even as sales missed estimates and package volumes fell. UPS also reaffirmed guidance for the rest of the year. Xerox stock is on track for its worst day in more than two decades. Q3 earnings were less than half of the street consensus. Xerox also lowered guidance due to high inflation and supply chain constraints. Weber shares shot up as much as 40% after the grill maker announced a buyout bid. The stock is trading above the offer price, but still at less than half of Weber's IPO price from just a little more than a year ago. And Adidas is parting ways with Kanye West, now known as Ye. Adidas says his recent comments were unacceptable and dangerous. The company does not tolerate, it says, anti-Semitism or hate speech. Adidas says dropping the Yeezy line will cut this year's profits by about $250 million. Taking that stand, having a financial impact there, Deirdre. Took a little bit of time, but they did it, uh, Contessa. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Meanwhile, Meta releasing the Quest Pro headset this morning. That comes the day after Altimer Capital's Brad Gerstner wrote a letter to the company urging them to cut back on Metaverse spending. Julia Borston has more on the headset and how investors are thinking about Meta's growth. 
Julia, did Neelay not tell you you're supposed to wear your goggles for today's show? <laughs> to, do you him. to do it virtually. To do it virtually. Well, Meta's new Quest Pro VR, it starts shipping today. It costs $1,500. So they're really targeting VR and augmented reality developers um, more so than consumers like me. So that cost is more than three times the cost of the Meta Quest 2. That's just $400. This new higher-end version includes a partnership with Microsoft's Teams, indicating it's looking at more of an enterprise audience and also some mixed reality technology with advanced graphics thanks to chips from Qualcomm. Now, the challenge is, of course, that this is a tough time to introduce such a high-priced device while companies and consumers are all looking to pull back. And Mark Zuckerberg is, of course, facing pressure from altimeters Brad Gerstner to justify his $10 billion annual metaverse investment. Meta shares are down about 60% over the past year. Cowan issuing a cautious note saying, quote, while we don't expect the Quest Pro will be a material driver of near-term profitability for Meta's Reality Lab segment, CEO Mark Zuckerberg has described the headset as a tool to help develop the metaverse ecosystem. JMP more optimistic about the long-term potential, writing, quote, with Meta highlighting use cases across gaming, fitness, enterprise, and communication, we believe Meta is investing to broaden the utility of VR to attract more users to the platform and increase engagement. But Needham's Laura Martin, she agrees with Altimeter's Brad Gerstner, writing, quote, at a time when Meta's revenue growth is slowing, meta in metaverse investments to chase a goal that may or may not pay off many years from now is not what we recommend investors allocate capital to in fiscal 22. Now, looking at the reviews for this headset, we've seen some positive ones, but we have seen a number of negative reviews of the headset um, out today. So we'll have to see what Zuckerberg says when Meta reports earnings. That's tomorrow afternoon, John. All right, Julia, thank you. Now, with this latest product launch, our next guest, bullish on Meta, buying up more stock ahead of earnings this afternoon. Joining us now, uh, Mark Asset Management's Morris Mark. Morris, uh, give me a sense on your overall take on where Zuckerberg has Meta right now. My sense is that, like you, Brad Gerstner is a fan of Meta's underlying business. Perhaps that's been overly criticized, but just doesn't want them spending as much on CapEx right now. Maybe just $5 billion instead of $10 billion a year on the Metaverse. Do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, first of all, thank you for having me, John. Nice to see you. Uh, secondly, I think that we shouldn't underestimate Mark and we shouldn't overestimate him. I think he's done a poor job as a media executive. You know, TikTok has emerged as a tremendous alternative uh, for news, for information and entertainment. On the other hand, I think he really understands technology and people are not paying attention to the fact that Meta is investing very heavily in artificial intelligence technology right now. Probably as much as any of the other firms, if not more so. And I think that will eventually pay off in terms of better uh, shareholder communication, better uh, customer communication, better advertising, and more revenues. I think that nobody is focused on that, and we are. I think it's a cheap stock, but I have no near-term optimism with regard to where the earnings are going to be. Yeah, and, and is that because even though those fundamentals and those longer-term investments in AI and how that's going to benefit social media, et cetera, even though those might be in place, in the near term, they're still spending $10 billion a year on the metaverse, 
and maybe the stock's going to move as it did in the past when they said they were going to spend a bunch of money on content matter moderation and CapEx. When they pulled that back, the stock popped up. Is it sort of dependent on how, what meta signals as far as what its spending is going to be on some of those things that aren't going to pan out for a few years? I don't think he's going any place. And I think uh, nobody's going to tell him what to do. Hopefully he will listen. And I think he's got to improve his entertainment product. But conversely, one of the problems they face in a world where Apple is protecting people's privacy, and we love Apple, uh, is how do you target without getting somebody's information and making inappropriate use of it? You have to understand the people that are using your service. Hmm. And I think artificial intelligence technology properly developed will help them do that. And I don't think anybody else can do that. I don't think Snap's going to be able to do it. I don't think, I think very few companies will be able to do it. I think Alphabet will be able to do it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a big deal. I was just going to say, Sundar Pichai has been investing in artificial intelligence for many years, um, a lot of money. But help me understand, uh, Mark, are you bullish on Zuckerberg's metaverse ambitions or you're just bullish because you think that the technology that's helping to develop the metaverse includes artificial intelligence and that will serve the core business? Well, I think he's investing in artificial intelligence separate from whatever he may be doing with regard to the metaverse. With regard to the metaverse, look, we're big fans of NVIDIA's technology and NVIDIA's product, and they talk about the omniverse. And I think something like that can be very practical. I don't think people want to live there, but I think businesses can be you can use it to develop products, visualize products, visualize images to 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 the nth degree. And I think something like that can be very valuable. It'll be a, a great tool. I think if you look at technology as a tool, uh, I don't want to walk around with a spacesuit all day or, or a, a device. <laughs> if I want to play games, if I want to virtualize athletic experiences, if I want to develop something, if I want to create something, I think that's very helpful. I don't like the idea of sitting across. Well, that's Personally, having you know, contact with people is important. Morris, isn't, isn't that part of the danger, though, is that um, Facebook at the time bought Oculus eight and a half years ago and has been trying to make this VR thing happen both within Facebook and now on our faces with, with Oculus and, and Horizon Worlds, etc. Um, when you look at how some of these other revolutions have happened, whether it's Web 2, particularly the smartphone and the iPhone, Apple might have been investing in that for a while, but they weren't spending $10 billion a year and they weren't pushing it publicly until it was ready. There's the danger that somebody else swoops in at an opportune moment spending less money and, and out, out VRs Facebook, right? Absolutely. But I think the idea of VR, I remember Star Trek and, and the room you walk into and that was a virtual reality. You didn't have to wear a goggle, okay? And you didn't have to sit before a screen. You were there. So I, I, I'm not going to try and guess what's going to happen. I think the interesting thing is this is such a profitable company and it generates so much cash. Is it wasting it? Who knows? We'll find out. Are they going to come up with something? Once again, we'll find out. But I am very impressed with the idea of using artificial intelligence to properly target without violating privacy. I think that's a great idea if you can pull it off.
And they have it Indeed. Williams. And uh, Apple's after that. <laughs> Apple's after that as well. We'll see who Absolutely. wins that race. Morris Mark, thank you. Welcome. Up next, PayPal is hoping that you'll use Venmo when checking out on Amazon. That story when Tech Check returns. We'll be right back. Data analytics company Qualtrics popping after reporting results uh, and a strong guide. Frank Holland has the numbers. Frank. Hey there, John. Uh, Qualtrics shares are up right now, but they're off their highs after earnings where shares were up double digits after the bell. A big pop after those top and bottom line beats, but the stock's still more than 75 percent off of its high. The decline, perhaps profit taking as investors look to recoup from this beaten down cloud player. Possibly more important than the beats was the raise in the guidance for both the top and the bottom of the range. This came as executives on the call said business spend was tightening and decision makers were scrutinizing IT decisions more closely. Still, they reported 124% net revenue retention, a metric of current customer spend. All this optimism from Qualtrics that counts Domino's Pizza, L.L. Bean, and the U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid as customers, also giving a boost to other data analytics players, most notably Asana, up more than 8% today, still 85% off its high. Splunk and Palantir also outperforming. But the real question here is, of course, rate pressure. You can see here, this is a quarter-to-date chart. A very brief period, you might have to squint, a brief period where cloud names represented by the WCLD ETF were able to rise while rates rose. Important to note, the triple Q's ETF, that still made gains with the 10-year yield over 4%, but rate pressure continues to be a consistent story with these companies. Um, they're getting some breaks from the dollar, the dollar pretty much flat quarter to date. Carl, back over to you. Uh, yeah, and DXY back to 110 today. Frank, great point. Uh, Frank Holland. A quick programming note this morning as we go to break. Uh, don't miss the season finale of Jay Leno's Garage as Jay joins the president at the Secret Service training facility to talk about the future of electric cars and a lot more. It's coming up tomorrow night, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Stay with us. Welcome back. PayPal launching Venmo on Amazon as it struggles to make the product profitable. Kate Rooney has more. And Kate, I mean, it was only a question of when they would do this. And I wonder, is it too late? Like we talked about this. Amazon already has your credit card. Yeah, absolutely. You wonder why someone would want to use Venmo versus a credit card. But it is a new payment option and it fits into this big strategic uh, plan here for PayPal. This Amazon partnership is really all about boosting the appeal beyond just sending money to friends and family. The scale of Amazon's checkout platform really makes this significant. It's a way to encourage people to go and spend from their Venmo accounts instead of just cashing that money out to a bank account. And PayPal has now owned the app for almost a decade, D. As you mentioned, it's been a while. It now has 90 million users and has been seen as a crown jewel for this payments company. But Wall Street has been pretty frustrated at the app's inability to break even or contribute to the bottom line, and executives have stopped promising any Venmo profitability on earnings calls recently, and so far it's mostly been a free offering. Getting people to use Venmo for checkout, similar to how a lot of people use PayPal, is key, and it's a key tentpole in PayPal's turnaround strategy driven by Elliott Management. The activist investor took a $2 billion stake in PayPal earlier this year, which has helped the stock outperform a lot of its fintech peers, PayPal also getting a boost from this news today, PayPal CEO Dan Schulman outlined some of the priorities on the last earnings call and said they're doubling down on checkout, PayPal and Venmo digital wallets, and then Braintree. But there is now, of course, growing competition out there for all of these digital wallets, D. 
Kate Rooney, thanks so much. Our next guest runs J.P. Morgan's global payments business, which brought in nearly $10 billion in revenue in 2021. Let's bring in Takis Georgiakopoulos, global head of J.P. Morgan's payments. Takis, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, since we were just talking Venmo, I want to ask you about this peer-to-peer payment space. J.P. Morgan and the other big banks outsourced this to Zelle years ago, while the fintechs, they all built their own. Now Zelle is under scrutiny from lawmakers. Why didn't J.P. Morgan build its own, and is it too late to do so? Well, I, I think from the side of my business, we work with uh, with merchants from the very large to the very small, and our goal is to bring to our customers as many payment options as possible, whether it is credit cards, whether it is wallets or anything else. And in addition to that, as many financing options as uh, as possible. Zelle is a payment method for banks, a real-time payment method, one of the many that are out there. And I think we've seen a lot of, uh, of fast adoption and that's overall a space which uh, which moves quite quickly and evolves quite quickly. Right. Fast adoption. But all the benefits of that went to Zelle or or Lee Warning, the company that developed it, that could have gone towards J.P. Morgan. So I wonder, was it that you guys didn't have the capacity or the talent to build such a network? Is that something that you think is in the future possible? Again, I, I think there are a lot of payment options today, you know, Venmo, PayPal, uh, Square Cash, uh, bank payment options. Uh, I think what uh, Venmo managed to do is they managed to create a new peer-to-peer network, uh, which you know works quite well. And from my side of the business, we support that infrastructure well. Uh, there are a lot of other initiatives for creating new payment methods. And again, from my side of the business, which is more uh, the wholesale side, our goal is to support all of those so that merchants and consumers can have as much choice as they need. Taki says, uh, does a severe recession uh, change the trajectory of payments and, and, and payments growth as a, as a mechanism of paying? Do consumers revert to cash when they get nervous? Uh, do, do vendors and, uh, and retailers stop investing in, in capital equipment when things really get tight? Well, we have not seen a severe recession yet, right? For now, we have seen inflation, we have seen higher interest rates, uh, we have seen some stress in some parts of the economy. We have not seen a severe recession yet. Uh, what we are beginning to see is people being much more comf- much more uh, cautious uh, with their investment spending. Uh, but we have not seen a wholesale change in uh, in their behavior yet. Uh, we've seen a lot of disruption in the energy markets. Obviously, we've seen a lot of people thinking about their supply chains and the security of their supply chains. Uh, a lot of that having to do with um, again geopolitics and COVID-related supply issues. We have not yet seen the impact of the recession or of the coming recession. Taki, it's it's interesting to me that as popular as Venmo is, right, um, as much usage as it's gotten, it's still not profitable. And so I wonder, you know, given that, given what we've seen so far from cryptocurrencies, and there's talk about them being the future of money exchange, but eh, the, the practicality of that hasn't really hit home yet. What's the innovation opportunity for payments right now? Sure, we can have lots of methods of payment, but is there a pain point that really needs to be served by the next incremental way of paying? So to me, there are a number of, uh, of different trends that we see in the economy right now which create opportunities for the future of payments. I would say the the first one of those is the change in the shopping experience from, let's say, browsing page after page of stuff 
to a much more par- participatory way of looking um, at shopping, whether it is TikTok or whether it is Instagram, whether it is the, the you know influencers. And that changes how checkout happens and the embedded finance or embedded banking required to make that happen. So that for me will create new checkout experiences. Mm-hmm. I think the second trend that we see is the blurring of the online and the offline worlds. And that's why we just announced uh, investments in uh, Sightline and in Tilia that cover two different aspects of that. Sightline is more the gaming side. I'm here at Money 2020 in Las Vegas. How do you change that experience? And then Tilia is much more about gaming and metaverse and how do you bring together the online and offline lives of people and wallets and currencies, real and virtual and you know everything else. Um, and manage also your digital identity, whether it is in person or online. And then the third trend that we see, which is probably a bit early stage, is uh, the internet of things, whether it is people uh, interacting with uh, devices. Let's say here we are showcasing our vision for smart cars, all the way to smart devices interacting with each other. And there is no payment method right now that can allow you to do micropayments instantly Mm. at virtually zero cost. And that's where the idea of moving money and information at close to infinite speed through a distributed ledger and through a digital currency on a distributed ledger Mm -hmm. becomes quite interesting. Takis, last really quick one. Um, What do you make of big tech like Apple moving into payments and fintech threat or partner to the banking industry? Uh, Well, they're both, and we need to be very comfortable with that. Uh, They are great companies, huge market caps, huge ability to invest, and wonderful technological capabilities and access to the end consumer. Uh, As far as the J.P. Morgan payments business is concerned, they are great partners. They are some Mm -hmm. of our largest clients, uh, and we are hoping we will deliver to them the kind of financial services that they are looking to. So they become more partners, less competitors. (laughs) Okay, Takis, thanks so much for being with us today. Takis Georgiakopoulos from JP Morgan. Still to come, the FTC looks to hold Drizzly's CEO accountable for alleged security failures. Tech Check is back in two. Welcome back. We are near session highs for all the major indices led by the NASDAQ, which is up more than 2%. That's more than 220 points at the moment, Carl. John, one more programming note as we go to break. You can join CNBC virtually today and tomorrow for CNBC's 2022 Work Summit. We bring together some top names in business, policy, labor, banking, and academia to explore the tough questions facing business leaders and workers alike. You can scan the QR code on your screen for some more information. As John said, Dow's up almost 300. And Tech Check is back in a moment. Spotify is just another company set to report after the market closed today. Julia is back with us and has what investors might be watching for, Julia. Well, Carl, Spotify earnings could be a key test of the consumer and of the ad market after Snap's dismal outlook on the ad market last week. Spotify's earnings will give investors another sense of the state of what the advertising market could look like through the end of the year and maybe a hint of what's coming from Meta tomorrow afternoon. We'll also see if Spotify can continue to prove that music is a recession-resistant utility. Last quarter, Spotify added far more subscribers than anticipated. This quarter, Spotify is expected 
to add 17 million new users, more than the 11 million it added last quarter, while the street is forecasting a loss of more than double that of the year-ago quarter. Revenue is expected to grow about 20 percent. That's down just slightly from Q2. Now, despite last quarter's beat, the stock is down over 60 percent in the past year. Over half of analysts have a buy or overweight rating. Of course, any forward guidance will be closely scrutinized, Carl. Uh, that's a big one in addition to uh, Alphabet and Microsoft, which we'll get tonight. Meantime, guys, uh, yields down across the board. Got the 10-year back to 407. VIX below 29. Let's get to the judge in the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m.